our new season of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series where we focus on topics of interest to our small business community. Before we get into today's discussion, I did want to mention that we are now recording in our new podcast studio called The Tank uh, at our new facility immediately adjacent to the bank building here in Ellison Park at 4088 Alpha Drive. In addition to the new podcast studio where we're recording from today, our new facility also offers shared office space that's available for use by the small business community where we expect to be doing a significant amount of, of training uh, as well as housing our new marketing subsidiary, which is known as Blue Sapphire, which you'll be hearing more about in future podcast episodes. But today I want to discuss something that's uh, very timely and is impacting all of us, whether we be in business or just as consumers, and that's the current state of inflation in the economy in our country right now. To discuss that in, in more depth, I have Chuck Lai here with me. Uh, I'm sure you all remember Chuck. Uh, he's the president and CEO of Enterprise Bank, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the effect of inflation uh, on the economy, as well as uh, part of that being the current interest rate environment, which is very different than what we've experienced um, in a number of years. Chuck, welcome back. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. So um, before we uh, get into some Q and A here with you and get your thoughts, I wanted to give our listeners uh, an idea of, of where things stand from a statistical perspective right now. So the latest inflation rate um, that uh, the government announced was as of August 2022. September numbers aren't out yet. Inflation at the end of August was at 8.2%. And, um, you know, that's a significant increase uh, over what we've experienced and what the Fed's target is, and the Fed has always targeted trying to keep the inflation rate at around 2%. So we're at like four times that, that number right now. Along with that inflation, uh, we've seen a market increase in interest rates um, this year to date. Uh, just you know, for reference, when we started the year 2022, the, the prime lending rate, rate was 3.25%. There's been a number of, of adjustments and increases by the Fed um, during the year, such that we're at 6.25%. And as Chuck and I will discuss, that may not be uh, over in terms of the interest rate increases that are, are expected. Similarly, long-term rates that uh, you know, we tie a lot of the bank's um, real estate, commercial real estate lending to, and even the home mortgage market, those long-term rates have also increased uh, significantly. When we started 2022, the five-year T-bill rate was sitting at 1.37%. Now it's close to 4%. So both short-term and long-term rates have gone up, uh, and inflation is running rampant. So um, Chuck, I'd really be interested in your take uh, on um, what you see has been the drivers uh, for inflation. Um, I think this time, and for for someone like me who's an old fart, it's, uh, this is not the first time around for experiencing inflation in the business community. But this time, I think it's multiple factors that are coming together to create create the issue. And we kind of digress back to what causes inflation and, and from an education perspective, get some background as to what we, what we talk about is 
Um, when you look at inflation, you've got two component parts that create an equilibrium. One is the supply of the product, and one is the demand on the product. So when supply and demand are in sync with one another and there's an equilibrium, then prices are static, and that's where we've been for quite a long time. But when there's an imbalance there, when the demand gets stronger than the amount of supply can, can provide or vice versa, then you either have uh, inflation where prices are going to go up or you have deflation where prices are, are going to go down depending upon the mixture. Right now, what we have is we have an increase in demand that has taken place that's been dramatic with the uh, aid that came out after COVID and the amount of money and spending that has taken place where the government has put money in the hands of, of consumers. Well, that's created a huge increase in demand. And at the same time, the supply side, we've had with COVID interruptions and, and manufacturing and things like that, the supply chains are not operating efficiently and haven't been able to keep up with that increased demand. So what happens is you have a lot of people bidding on lesser products, lesser number of products, and that drives the price up. So what the Fed has to do or is attempting to do is to, uh, they can't really affect the supply side, but they can affect the demand side. So when they push up interest rates, that basically makes uh, things in effect more expensive when leveraging is going on and it, and it reduces the demand. And you can see uh, probably the best example that is see how it works is when you look at housing right now. You know, um, you're going to start to see housing prices actually start to drop because they push the interest rates up enough that the demand is slowing because people can't afford to do to buy what they what they were before when leverage is involved. And so uh, when that demand drops, then there'll be an oversupply and it'll start to, prices will start to come down. Um, so the Fed right now, as that's why rates are going up, is they're trying to reduce the demand. And um, so in, in anything that's affected by leverage, they're going to slow things down by pushing rates up. And they're going to try to push it up to start slow demand, but not too much where it creates a, a serious recession. A couple of factors to, to think about, though. Um, you know, you and I look at business balance sheets all the time in our lending function here at the bank. Um, you know, the question we've been asking is when does all this liquidity that got pumped into the system related to COVID stimulus, you know, when is that going to run out? And then what is that going to do to demand at the same time? Well, there's, there's uh, multiple things that give um, resources to people to push up demand. Um, wages, when they increase, when the government spends more and creates more jobs, uh, when the government gives aid to people directly as, as they did this last time. And, and keep in mind that it's estimated, you know, in the banking system, we know there's just tons and tons of cash. When we were looking back in a year and a half ago, approximately $20 trillion has gone into the system. As you look at it today, about three quarters of that has, has worked its way back out. So there's still uh, 
excess capacity there in relationship to where we were before as far as cash in the market, but it's not as bad as it was before. So it's, it's starting to normalize, and probably in the next quarter or so we'll get back to normalization, assuming that there's not some other kind of push from government spending or what have you. You know, and that, that's the thing that people have to keep in mind when, when you're in a leadership role. You know, you may feel that certain expenditures need to be done, and they may well need to be done and, and better people, but at the same time, when that occurs and you push more uh, capacity by, uh, of, of supply of money into the, into the marketplace, and demand is going to go up, and it's going to counteract to what the Fed's trying to do to slow it back down. So... When you look at, like, um, the effects of the government spending the bill that they did this year, which I think they termed the Inflation, the Reduction, Inflation Act, yes. Reduction Act, which actually does, with the exception of giving uh, Medicare the ability to negotiate prices, which which could have a positive effect on, on inflation, the lion's share of everything else is spending money. It's the opposite of what we're saying. In fact, it's... When my pet peeves, it gets me angry. I, I think the bill has a lot of really good things involved with it. I'm not sure why my leadership has to lie about what they did to people. That's 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 today's world. Right. Um, but what it does is it's now over the next year or two, depending upon how fast those monies get pushed into the system with new projects, new energy projects, whatever it is. That's going to counter counteract to what the Fed is doing. So so it's really the, it's the opposite of inflation reduction when you increase that spending. It is, and I think it, it, there's no question it is. The, the issue is, again, it may well be you needed to push inflation a little bit right. because these are really important expenditures that needed to be done. Um, but the reality is it will react against and diminish what the Fed is doing. So it's going to cause the Fed to have to either do what they're doing now longer or more uh, in a greater greater way to counteract that, to keep the demand. Otherwise, inflation will just keep growing and growing. Yeah. Um, what about the Fed's other mandate, which uh, is what they call full employment? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously we're, we're in a really – strong market from a wage perspective. Wages have been pushed up, unemployment down. How does the Fed mandate or maintain their mandate for this full employment when um, you've got, you know, inflation uh, counteracting to some degree? You know, that's that's one of the things that I, I kind of get a kick out of, you know. The, and I applaud the Fed for wanting to be more uh, full disclosure, say what their goals are, that type of thing. And when it comes to, like, inflation, they've been very clear. They've given a very objective standard that, where they've said, we want this to be at 2%. And we want to work to get it to 2%. So everybody in the market understands that. When it comes to the other mandate that they have, which is full employment, I, I think the first thing you need to do is define what full employment is. You know, when I went to school, which obviously is ancient and years ago, uh, I had professors telling me that full employment, optimum employment, was unemployment was six percent, because at six percent, you could get good qualified people to work. If it dropped below that, the people weren't qualified for a lot of the jobs that were there, and 
so it wasn't deemed to be, you know, full employment. Well, I don't know what full employment is now. I don't see anybody sitting there telling me it's 4%, it's 2%, it's 3.6%, you know, whatever it right. is. That objective standard that they talk about, I don't think they have an agreement amongst themselves as to what it is. So when you come back and say, what do you think they're going to do? How do these two things correlate to right. one another? How is one put? I, I think you have to set an objective standard before you can even start to begin right. to know what that is. Because right now, it's it's, it's not an objective standard. So you, you touched on housing. Obviously, that that's got a direct correlation to what happens in the interest rate market. What about cost of fuel and energy you know there's been a leadership administration has been out touting that they you know reducing gas prices but they're still 26 percent higher than they were a year ago um how does how does the energy cost play into this well I, i've always thought energy cost is one of the most important predictors of what's going to happen in the economy um when it comes to that being a component of inflation as to how much it, it goes up um, you can see it's shocking the system. I think it's a big part of what's pulling money out of the system because people are spending so much for energy. Um, I don't think in the long term that energy price is going to come down because I don't think this administration really cares. They're more concerned about switching to a more environmentally friendly energy, which is much more expensive, and that's their objective. And that's going to, in its in and of itself, slow down the economy. And, and you know, I like, I have this old thing uh, saying that I like to go back to when I think about uh, believing what somebody says or not. It's like uh, actions mean everything. Words don't mean a whole lot. And when I look at this administration sitting there and saying, I'm working to bring down the price of energy, no, they're not. They've shut down drilling. They've shut down pipelines that can that can uh, bring the product to be refined. They've done everything to stop carbon production, which is what we're talking about when it comes to oil. So the carbon-based production, they've intentionally slowed down production. Um, and now when they see the effects of it negatively, now they're trying to you know go visit OPEC and and try to get things up, and you see how well that works. Uh, yesterday or the day before, OPEC said we're, we're cutting back production significantly, so you're going to see prices go back up to where they were three or four months ago. And we have the ability to produce in this country to offset that, and we're intentionally not doing it. So the actions speak, in my mind, louder than the words. And when you sit there and say, I'm so tired of hearing the administrator uh, leaders say, well, I'm going to open up the strategic reserve. When you look at consumption versus what they open up, it's like putting a glass of water in my swimming pool and say, I just filled it up. <laughs> it's a ridiculous, stupid comment to make. And it's just there to hide the truth from what's going on in public. And, you know, the bottom line is this administration is going to increase and allow the price to go up. Now, the, when you think about it, though, that's going to reduce inflation. It, it, when the number hits, it obviously is a component of inflation that goes right. up. But it's pulling monies, excess monies, out of people's pockets. So it's going to slow it's down like demand double. for other things. And so it's actually going to work in the Fed's best interest to slow demand if it shocks up and runs up 
hard. Now, the instant numbers are it shows inflation right. jumping up because it's such a large component part of spending, but it's pulling monies, discretionary monies out of people's pockets unless they change their lifestyles, and that's going to reduce reduce inflation over a longer period of time. I find it interesting. It seems like any global world type events are being used. I use the word smokescreen, but it's like an excuse for fuel. You know, first it was the war in the Ukraine, then it was the hurricane in uh, Florida. And it seems like, well, you know, those are being touted as excuses as to why uh, energy prices may not continue to drop. Well, I, I think... You know, we try to make complex things as simple as we can by discussing the relationship of demand and supply to one another and how that balances is when things are, are where they should be and when they're out of balance and you have either inflation or deflation. But there are so many integral parts of that supply and demand in a, a large economy that make it hard to predict what's going on. And it's such a large economy one particular event isn't going to drive something one way or the other. It's got to be a lot of things coming together. With the exception, I think, of energy, which is infiltrates so many aspects of the economy that it's why I think it's one of the larger drivers. It's one of the reasons why, you know, when we get into EST discussions, I'm, I'm a firm believer that global warming is happening, and I certainly want to protect the environment. But I'm also a realist knowing that it's a world decision, not a United States decision. And unless everybody's on board, you're not going to be able to make an effect. And we're trying to do something with our policy to say we can make an effect ourselves individually and, quote, set the example. And um, what the result is is our energy costs are going through the roof while other people's are dropping down making us less competitive and in the real world our competitors are going to want to see that as long as they can until the environment blows up where the people are going to actually scream and yell about it and we're really not we ourselves can't make the difference we have to work together as a group and if you can't bring the group together you can't really make the change and those that think they can are living in academia and not the real world. So consequently you look at how that how does that affect inflation. And it has a it has a major component, you know, of, of all the different supply chain demand components that make up the uh, economy. Energy is a big, big, big plus. So I do expect energy costs to run up based upon our actions and leadership. But I also think that it'll be one of the taming factors of inflation after the shock hits the system initially. Interesting perspective. Well, we've been talking a lot of kind of gloom and doom here about prices increasing and interest rates increasing, but there's always a silver lining. So, you know, this is one of those times where uh, those that don't have a lot of leverage uh, and have the ability to, to save uh, can actually start enjoying the benefits of their uh, bank rates of return on their deposit accounts. Well, one of the things you keep in mind when, when the Fed is trying to slow down demand, they do it by increasing the cost of leveraging. If you're in a position where you don't have leverage to make the acquisition, typically you, you, you're in a great situation because as the demand 
is is tamped down, the supply inequity will start to bring prices down, and where other people can't afford to take advantage of it because the cost of borrowing has gone so high, you have a great advantage because you have cash and you don't care about the cost of borrowing. And, and you see it in component things, like when you look in housing right now, there's no question that that, that the cost of leverage in housing has, has slowed down the market. But you can also look in subcomponent parts where you start to see... Luxury home market. Luxury <laughs> home market or, or people that are in, like, the patio homes where they're buying their retirement home. Well, they're not borrowing. They're using equity. And those subcomponents of the housing market haven't dropped at all. Um, you see the same thing, like, in RVs. You know, when you see... We've gone crazy. You couldn't find one on the lot, whether it's a trailer or a big expensive one, the last two years. Now, this year is starting to change. This year it's going back to normal except the very high-end stuff. And high-end stuff's moving as much as it ever has because, again, leverage. These people are paying cash for their half-a-million-dollar RV, unlike the people that are paying 50000 for a trailer, a middle-income family. They're borrowing half of it or, or three-quarters of it to put it on. And, it's more expensive for them. It's not really more expensive for the people that are paying cash. So your point's well taken, and it's a, it's something people that watch the the large market, large business people. This is this is what they look for. This is when they get advantages in the system. Right, and you know you talked a little while ago about you know the system being flush with liquidity, but it's but it's eroding fairly quickly. You know bank deposit rates typically lag uh, a bit behind actual Fed rate increases. But when that liquidity runs out, uh, banks are going to have to pay up for deposits. We're already doing it. Yeah, I mean, you know, at our bank, uh, we're, we keep seeing these rates go up, and we've pushed our rates up to be fair to people, but if you look at the competitors, they haven't moved rates at all, and yet rates have gone through the roof. And and it, when you look at it from their perspective, it's like, why would I? i got more cash than yeah. I know what to do with, so I don't want to pay more for what I don't need, but you are seeing a lot of cash now flow out of the banking system into the money market funds and into the other investment vehicles, and that's that's where, as a macroeconomics, when when the banks aren't flush with cash, you'll see them kick back into the market and start paying for it again. And it's not a bad risk-based investment right now either, considering the volatility in the stock market. No, <laughs> no. Very much appreciate you taking the time. Give us your perspective as always. Um, for our viewers that might have questions or comments or ideas for future topics you'd like us to cover here on Inside the Vault, you can email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. You can uh, listen to us in audio format on all your major podcast platforms and in video format on YouTube. Thank you very much for listening. Mm -hmm.